It's a troubling passage, isn't it? There's a lot in there. That's why I wanted you to read it this week if you had an opportunity. By the way, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor of the Garden. I just got, I was checking ESPN before I got up. There was a score update. Um, time change one, churchgoers zero, apparently. <laughs> Bottom of the first. So um, today, the title of the message is Should We Bring Anything? Parable of the Great Feast. And it is found in Matthew and in Luke. <clears throat> and to really understand the parable, you really have to look at it with a harmony of the two Gospels. Because there are elements in both that are not in the other. And to really have a full understanding of what happened at the event and what Jesus taught, you have to take them both and look at them together. That's why it's very important. And we've stressed this over and over again here in the garden. When we look at Scripture, we have to look at it in context. If you look at it out of context, then you miss many of the points. First of all, I just want to make sure that you guys understand. Thank you, Steve, for reading that. I want to give you some background about the significance, the social significance of the feast circuit. Here's the reason <clears throat> that Jesus said there was a parable about a king who gave a great wedding feast. The feast circuit is one of the most important social aspects of Jewish culture in the day. And understand, feasts weren't planned months ahead of time. They were planned years ahead of time. Oftentimes, they were feasts associated with an arranged marriage, which could be several years, five, ten years ahead of time. So there's no way you could have a conflict on your schedule. Another thing about the feast, <coughs> excuse me, the feast circuit is that only certain types of people could go to feasts. Only people who could actually throw a feast could be invited to a feast. So it was a very closed circle of people. The, the, the religious elite, uh, the rich, the wealthy, the powerful. If you were a celebrity, you know, maybe you, know, you won Jewish idol or something like that, you would get to go. You know, these were important people. And these, this wedding feast, this wedding feast circuit, if you will, in a town, in an area, there'd be a circuit of feasts and everybody would see each other at these feasts at different times. And they were very important. And you would never be invited to a feast if you yourself were not able to throw one on your own. Now, you might invite certain people in your social economic backgrounds. So like maybe servants could have feasts, they would never invite kings. Kings could have feasts, but they would never invite servants. They would only invite their peers. So with that in mind, I want to make sure that you guys understand what's going on here. Jesus was at a feast when he shared this parable of the feast. He was there and he was invited. Understand, <clears throat> there were important religious, rich, and wealthy people at this feast. And they invited Jesus, who was not wealthy. And the reason they invited him was to catch him. The religious leaders wanted to see how he acted, see if he really understood Jewish law. And so they sat him down thinking, you know what, he's going to come to the feast, he'll be our guest, and we'll catch him in some sort of mistake, in some sort of error. And what Jesus does is he starts, he launches into this teaching. He says, you know, the wedding feast is great, but let me tell you something. When you have a feast, he starts pointing out hypocrisy all over the place. He says, how many of you would, uh, on the Sabbath, heal your son or your ox? And how many of you have the audacity to have reserved seating? He says, when you invite somebody to a wedding, 
you don't, don't, don't put the, the very honored guest in the most great part and then the, the least honored guest in the small. He said, you should reverse it. It's kind of like at a football game. You know, when I was young, there was a, a, a team in Tampa called the Bandits. It was a USFL team. And it was a lot cheaper than Bucks games. Like 60 bucks and you got season tickets, right? It was great. <clears throat> and I remember we had it planned out because it was in the summertime. And so, you know, they, this, the stadium wasn't completely full. That was back when they had the, 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 for those of you who are familiar, it was the big sombrero. Like 80,000 people could sit in there, you know, so there's plenty of room. And my friends and I would go and I bought the cheapest tickets I could find because I knew that later on there would be plenty of room to go down to the reserve seating. So by the end of the first quarter, I'm sitting in $75 seats and I only paid like 15 for mine. It was great. When I tried to do that at a Bucks game, I got kicked out. <laughs> well, that's kind of what happens with the reserved seating. And then Jesus also references how you choose your guests. Don't choose just the guests that can invite you to their own feast. Choose guests that can invite you to a feast. And Jesus says, look, all the things that you guys do with your feast circuit, they're all wrong in the new kingdom. All the rules and all the accepted social norms that you have gone by in your feast circuit, they all have been turned on their ear by what I'm about to teach you. Because see, the wedding invitations, the wedding was the biggest possible celebration a man could throw. There's a lot of reasons why you'd have a feast, but a wedding feast was the biggest possible celebration you could have. It would mean more to you than anything. And so what would happen is if you were a king or if you were a leader, you would make sure, first of all, that you would invite the religious elite because you want that sprinkle of blessing on there, you know. You would invite the political elite. And anybody, everybody who is anybody would be there, rich, famous, whatever. And you would make sure that your feast was full of people that were really worthy to be there because this was your chance at this feast to put your best foot forward and you want the best possible people. You don't want anybody that's going to ruin your reputation. You don't want anybody that's going to make your guests feel uncomfortable. Man, I see a lot of similarities with how we do church. So you give this call to join the wedding feast on the wedding day. And here's what happens. <clears throat> the honored guests of this king refuse to attend. See, here's the thing. You would never receive the invitation on the wedding day had you not received the first invitation years later. So I don't want you to think like this was a last-second invitation. The way the wedding feast circuit would work is this. Years earlier, listen, on this date and this year, my son and my daughter and this and his man's daughter, they're going to be married. We've arranged the marriage. This is when it's going to be. Mark it on your calendar. Save the date. We're going to send you a reminder in about a week ahead of time, but just remember it. Don't schedule anything else. Don't worry. We won't because we know how important marriage feasts are, especially in our little town. So they would have never received the second invitation that Jesus talks about here in this parable had they not already committed to be there years earlier. 
If anyone should have been able to respond, listen carefully to me, if anyone should have been able to respond to an invitation to the wedding feast, it should have been these people who had plans, who had the financial wherewithal, who knew where it was going to be, who knew when it was, and they received a reminder. If anyone had the ability to choose to be at this wedding feast, it should have been them. This is why Jesus is using this parable to explain when he says the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's some of the excuses. I have this new field and, and my field is more important than your feast. I've got to go check out the field. First of all, listen, no one in that day and age, even in this day and age, would buy a field without careful investigation of the property. In addition, during this time, real estate transactions would take years. They didn't close in 30 days like we do now. These would take years. And oftentimes there was indentured servitude involved with this. There was a lot involved. Real estate did not change hands easily during this time. So what Jesus says is, and he gives these lists of excuses that people use, and the first one is, I bought a new field. Everyone there listening at that feast would know, well, that wouldn't be a good excuse to not come to the wedding. And I can imagine what would happen is Jesus is telling the story. They're saying, man, I can't believe people would not come to a wedding and use the excuse of a field. That's ridiculous. Then the next one says, I got new cows, and they're more important because I got to go test them out. Now, buying cows would not take as long as buying land, but you understand in that day and age, Oxen were the most important asset a farmer could have. You would never buy them without testing them first to make sure that they would work together. You had to make sure that the oxen you bought were you know, simpatico with each other and they would work well, you'd match them up. And this guy says, I bought a whole bunch of yoke of oxen and I got to go test them out on that wedding feast day. I can't make it. And the Jewish people that were there in that feast would know, man, that would be a terrible reason not to attend the marriage feast. And then the ultimate slap in the face. I have my own wedding. To have scheduled your wedding on the same day as this wedding, years in advance, even though you'd been invited to this one, would have been a huge insult to the host. Because of the nature of how far off in the future these feasts were scheduled, this was something that would have had to have been done on purpose to show disdain and hatred for the host. I'm sorry, I can't make it. I have my own wedding. And the Jewish people that were in the feast there, they would know when Jesus gave that excuse, they'd say, wow, boy, we thought the, the land was a bad excuse and the cows was a bad excuse. This would be the ultimate disrespect to a king. A king, guys, who's throwing a wedding feast for his son. <clears throat> and so then the king is upset. And he's angry. And we see some parts in the story where he says, you know, send out some servants and remind them, look, come to the feast. And the scripture says the people he tried to get to come then, he invited more people, and they killed his servants and his messengers. And the king said, send my, this is a busy day, right? He sends his army and he wipes out these people who tried to kill his servants. It's a busy day and it's a lot of emotion going on. And then Jesus says, but then what he did, he says, I want you to go out and I want you to compel people to attend. And this is found in the parable that we gave you. It's in this scripture. There's a word in Luke chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. And he says, go out into the streets 
find the lame, the poor, the crippled, everybody who is not worthy, and force them. That's the Hebrew word. And a gazo, I force, I compel. Now, why would this king have to force the people of low social economic standing to come to his feast? All the people that have every right to be there, it would seem, all the people that have every means to get there, they have all the knowledge, they have all the experience, they have all the understanding, they have all the social economic background, they have the position in the community, they have all the invitations, they've known years at a time, they could not get themselves to come. They have found all different types of excuses. Then he goes out and tries to find people who have no business being there, and he says, force them to come. Why? Because people of low social or economic standing would never have dreamed of accepting an invitation from a king to a feast like this because they would never be able to repay the host with an invitation to an equally lavished feast. They would have to be forced to attend by the king. Now, why would this be a problem? Why would this part of the, of the parable, just how offensive would this be to the Jews listening? Well, first of all, understand, these guests that he's compelling to come, they would ruin his reputation. In Luke 14, 2-4, And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Same chapter. They were trying to catch him. And it's very interesting because these people that Jesus points out in the parable, go and find the lame, the crippled, all of them, bring them in. This would ruin the reputation of the king to have these type of people at his wedding feast. Wait a second, you're telling me you're in this big socioeconomic background and now what you're saying is you're taking yourself out of the rich person's feast circuit and you're putting yourselves in the poor person's feast circuit. That means the only feast you'll ever be invited to are crappy ones. We're not going to have you at our feast. Look who you're eating with. Sinners. Tax collectors. Prostitutes. Maybe drug dealers. People with leprosy. We're not going to have any part of that. That's yours, king. You can have it. The other reason these guests were strange to be invited because they could never repay. Luke 14, 12. The parable of the great banquet, he, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the justified. It is very clear that the feast circuit is a parable about salvation. Now we have another problem. We have this wide open feast, right? Look, he's invited all these people and nobody wants to come. What are we going to do about this? Go out and get all the people who aren't allowed to come and force them to come. I need to fill up my wedding banquet hall. I've got to fill it up, go out, get them all. And everybody's there, and the banquet is full, and then there's an unwanted intruder. 
But when the king came in to see all of his guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is judgment. Outer darkness is hell. That's what that's saying. Now, this is troubling, is it not? Why would he reject a person that came to this wide open feast all on their own? This was somebody who was not compelled to come. This was somebody who was not even invited. And they just said, you know what? This looks like a great feast. I want to be a part of it. And they came in without the proper wedding clothes. Let me explain to you why this is important. Whenever you would have these wedding feasts, the host would provide the clothing. You could not come in with your own robe your own white robe would not be sufficient. The host wanted to make sure that everybody is in equal places and he would provide the clothing. Apparently, the feast wasn't so wide open after all. I mean, couldn't someone just choose to attend? Apparently not. Got some passages for you. And before we talk about that, just to make sure that you understand very clearly, the proper clothing was provided by the host. Look at Isaiah 61.10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. You can clearly see the similarity between the wedding feast and Isaiah 61 when it talks about the fact that the Lord has clothed me for the wedding feast in his own righteousness. All the guests at this feast were wearing white robes except for this one who chose to come in on his own. Look at another passage. Revelation, New Testament. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of their lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Very troubling passage. <clears throat> because what this does, remember the whole point of Matthew is, hey, Jewish readers, this Jesus is the Messiah. The kingdom you are waiting for, it will not ever exist. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And he goes through and he uses that phrase dozens of times, explaining to them, you thought the kingdom was this way, but it's not. And in this one fell swoop, Jesus says, you guys have operated your feast circuit like you wanted to operate the kingdom. For years, what you wanted is for everybody to come to your kingdom. Come to your kingdom to see the glory of your heavenly Father. No longer the kingdom goes to them and compels them and forces them in. <clears throat> and if you come in without the right clothes, even if it's of your own free will, you're not allowed in. 
Is that troubling to anyone? Does that frighten you a little bit? What is the application of this? What do we do with this very difficult and troubling passage that tells us, look, things aren't always great? The theological applications are this. The invitation list of the kingdom of heaven's wedding feast is long. It says many are invited, many are called, right? No one responds to the invitation unless the king forces them to come. The only people that responded were those of the servants went out and grabbed them and brought them in. No one can enter the feast with their own clothing or their own righteousness. What this parable does is it turns the idea of free will on its head. Oh yeah, you can have free will. Even if you have all the advantages, you'll never choose God on your own. God has to force you and compel you to come in. There's an old hymn by Isaac Watts called How Sweet and Awful. It's about the wedding feast. I'm just going to put some verses up there. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? I don't deserve to be here. Why was I made compelled to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in or else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. If the king doesn't sweetly draw you into his wedding feast, you would never go on your own because many are called, but few are chosen. As we prepare to leave this place today, if you've noticed over the past couple of weeks, we've been praying together as a congregation. Want, us, want to lead us in one final prayer together as a group um, before we sing our last song together. So I invite you to pray with me.